Today I want to continue our surrender series. So I've been in this series just talking about different points of surrender in our life. And the whole reason under that, the whole thinking under that is that if, if we as a people want to know God, walk with God, uh, there is always going to be points of surrender. If you think about it in your whole journey, that literally begins when you surrender your heart to Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's how the Christian journey begins. It doesn't begin by becoming religious, doing a ritual or anything like that. You know, there'd be quite a number of people here, I would imagine, that weren't in a church when you came to know Jesus. But, but the one thing we would all have in common, whether it was by little degrees or whether it was one big moment, we all came to a point of surrender. And at that point of surrender, the, the reality of his, his spirit at work in us... And, and the whole journey began. And so that's something that needs to continue. I found, uh, discovered early as a Christian that uh, de- de- deciding to follow Jesus was not a one-off event. You know what I mean? It was like, it, it took a big build-up. I was 21 and I was, you know, just, a, just totally out of church, totally away from God kind of person. And, uh, and, and everything shaped up for this big event of following Jesus. And I finally made the decision and everything started to change. And then I realized within a very short amount of time, this is a decision I have to go on making again and again and again. And, uh, and I think we are continuously given options. But I think from a very, very early point in my journey, I just understood the value of, if I could put it this bluntly, crudely, being in church, gathering with God's people. I can't ever remember someone having to teach me about it, although I can remember my youth pastor at the time sharing an analogy one night around the campfire um, uh, on one of my first youth retreats where he talked about, you know, you take a coal out of the fire, it goes out. But put all the coals in the fire and there's heat. And he made that analogy of that's what it's like with church. And I thought, well, that sort of made sense to me. And now after 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen that principle at play many, many times. Where people feel like, look, I can go it alone. But often it just ends up with their fire literally going out. And this COVID season is an interesting one because it's caused us to ask a lot of questions. I was speaking to a businessman, just a community businessman this week, and, uh, and he was saying it's really forcing people to rethink their priorities. And we both agreed that's probably not such a bad thing because I think a lot of things we were doing pre-pandemic might have actually been unsustainable. And actually having a bit of a break during the pandemic, a forced break, has made us rethink priorities, which I actually think is a good thing. And I think God's people aren't, uh, you know, aren't immune to that and should be doing that as well. Thinking about, right, how do I really want to spend my life? Because when we spend our life, we're spending our time. Where do I want to spend my time? Now, I figure all of you, both in this room and online... You've already worked it out because you're here. So I'm preaching to the converted today. But I want to reinforce something today. And, um, and so it's not a bad thing to ask, what do I want to do with my time? If you ever talk to a business coach, one of the things that they will teach you is the rule of uh, WIIFM. Everyone is listening to the little station called WIIFM, 
what's in it for me. Before they purchase a product, they are thinking. That's what we think. We go through the process. What's in it for me? Is there value in this for me? And, uh, and I think, you know, I think a lot of God's people are thinking, what's in it for me yeah. after this season? Why would I? Why would I be still attached? But just because it's a valid question, because I do think that's a valid question, I'm not sure it's the right question. It might be valid. You know, realize that in life there's a lot of questions that are valid, but you just might not be asking the right question. And I want to speak to us today about something bigger than me. Something bigger than, quote unquote, me. And, and Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read a, a great passage of scripture where he's basically describing the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, 22. And he says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And like that's Paul's uh, book of Ephesians. It, it's his theses on the church. It's a very spiritual book. But that is just such a, you know, a startling picture of what the church is. That it's not just church services. It's not certainly individuals coming asking the question, what's in it for me? But God is wanting to join our lives together in such a way that he can presence us on a level that maybe is a little bit different to just the presence that you experience in your bedroom when you pray and as you go to bed at night. As valid and as important as that personal relationship is and as much as we stress a personal relationship with Jesus, the New Testament was never about individuality or individual faith. All the language of scripture, that's just one of Paul's verses, but we could go to so many places, is about together. God is doing something in you, even as he does something in you. That's the whole thought. So I want to make some quick observations, then I'm going to interview someone this morning and, uh, and just talk about a little bit of their journey that will somehow highlight this point. So here's a quick, some quick observations. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're fellow citizens and members. So there's this picture of new community. That's what the church is, a place of belonging. And it's also a dramatic picture of humility, actually, because community is the context that we actually work out our salvation. It is so countercultural because our culture is so fiercely individualistic. But have you noticed that as it's become more individualistic, and it has, increasingly, increasingly, technology has just added another layer to that where you can connect to people without being in the room, and that has its blessings and its benefits, and I think it has its great challenges that we're yet to even realise. But have you noticed that the more individualistic, the more we've become that way, it's become 
It's, it has empowered social, social isolation and social anxiety on a mammoth scale. It is one of the biggest issues we face. And I think people falsely assume that isolation is what's necessary when anxiety comes. Now, I'm not saying thrust yourself into crowds. I don't think that would be helpful if you struggle with that. But what I am saying is isolation is not your answer. That healing actually can and will be found in community. Start small. Maybe life group is about the right size. But don't allow yourself to be isolated and cut off from what God wants you to be a part of. So just a big shout out to our life group leaders for this year. I think you're going to play. You've always been the frontline ministry as far as I'm concerned. But I think this year, as we regather the scattered fragments, not only of our church, but of our society, I think life group leaders are going to be absolutely the key to us rolling forward with great purpose into our future. Second thought is Paul says it's built on the foundation of apostolic teaching, basically built on the apostles and prophets. People gathered around shared truth and experiences. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes I think when Christians get isolated from church, they don't even actually realise what they're missing, sometimes until they reconnect. And it's like, oh, this just added a dimension to my life that I overlooked. And it's that shared experience, shared truth as we journey together. And the church, it says, Paul says, it it was built with a foundation. Just think about it. That foundation through horrific persecution from without and through heresy from within has still kept the church stable for 2,000 years, possibly the only human organisation with a continuous thread of ongoing involvement through every war, through every famine, through every pandemic, through every problem, as I said, through even heresy and the church getting it wrong. God puts something in the core of his people when they gather, and that's what I'm talking about when I say church. It is the people of God gathered, whatever that looks like. God put something in the DNA of the church that just seems to be indestructible. And it says we're fitted together and built together. In other words, it's anything but individualistic. You know, there used to be an old saying, faith is a personal thing. You ever heard that? Well, faith's a very personal thing. We don't talk about politics or, or, or religion because it's a very personal thing. There could be nothing further from the truth in the New Testament than the fact that your faith is a personal thing. No, it's a shared experience. We hold this experience, precious experience, together. We hold these truths together. And then lastly, it says you, you're being built together for a dwelling place. And here I think is, it's basically the bottom line for Paul in his discourse And I think it's the bottom line I want to look at today. This journey of togetherness creates a place for the Holy Spirit to presence in a unique way. And we often emphasize being, you know, like a witness on a personal level. You know, let's speak up for Jesus. Let's share our faith. Let's let's be a witness. And often we're only talking about a personal level and we overlook the power of what it is simply to gather. What happens 
when we gather. So I want to invite Brittany, if she would come. We're going to bring a couple of stools up here. And uh, let's see. That's probably the middle, so we could sit either side of this. How's that? Come on, Brittany. Come on, why don't we welcome Brittany? Have we got Brittany? Testing. Yes. Yes, You can trust our sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good morning, everyone. This is Brittany, and Brittany is a bright... She's exactly what she appears. She is bright, (laughs) bubbly, effervescent, loves Jesus, just going for life, going hard, which is actually amazing when you consider, now that I know your story some of the experiences and what your journey has been to get to this point. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background. Tell everyone out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess like most of your stories, I actually grew up in a Christian home. Uh, Said my prayers at night, all those sorts of things. But uh, sadly, uh, I actually had to undergo uh, a lot of emotional and physical abuse and so did some of the people closest to me. Um, And I guess I just, I couldn't understand how people who were so faithful and who loved this, this God so much could undergo such horrible things. And late primary school, early high school, I decided it's, it's all a load of rubbish. I, uh, I, would prefer to believe in nothing um, and my own choices rather than anything. And so I became atheist. And after that, I actually had a, a boyfriend for three years. And that boyfriend had the same beliefs as I did. And we kind of like fed off each other's ideas. <laughs> and we were like, oh man, we're so right, justifying each other, that kind of stuff. And um, it was really interesting. And uh, after, within that three years, I also had a really messy encounter uh, with my mum in her AOG church, so the church that she was going to. Uh, when I went there and I had my curiosity and, and my, my questions and all that, it was always met with, with a lot of judgment and a lot of looking down upon me, and it was more that believe or burn mentality. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was crazy, and I didn't feel welcome at all. And, um, and eventually, not because of my beliefs, but actually because of money and power, my family got kicked out of that church. And it was, it was quite ridiculous. So I definitely didn't have a very good view on Christians and the church. Yeah. And that just solidified what was already skeptical and what was already, it's really sad. You know, I think when the church adopts that in or out, you're in or out. And, and I know for us over these last few years, we've really been trying to emphasize journey. That's, that's, you know, that we can journey with people and allow people to journey and, and, and let God do what God's doing in their lives. But something shifted for you. You, you know, you, you went overseas and something shifted. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, when I finished high school, I went to Europe for two years. And uh, what really shifted was pretty much the simple fact that after everything that happened, I, I survived. I was still alive, and I'm like. So you backpacked through Europe. Basically. Yes, backpacked yeah. through Europe. So a lot of crazy stories. If you want to hear them? You can ask me after. Um, but yeah, so the fact that I was still alive, I was thinking, wow, there's, there's got to be something. That there, there must be something. And uh, but I. There's so many religions out there. I was like, it can't just be one, surely. So I did a lot of research on a lot of different religions like, uh, and theologies like Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, all sorts of things. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I created my own sort of doctrine and moral compass and my own belief system. There you go. 
and then you arrived in Toowoomba. So you, you form your own moral compass, which was a bit of a scattering of yeah. maybe the best bits of everything, yeah. the, the, the bits that suited. <laughs> and, um, but you ended up in Toowoomba. So what happened when you got to Toowoomba? Yeah, so I, um, I came back to Toowoomba. And obviously, I didn't have any connections or friends because uh, I originally grew up in New South Wales. So when I came here, my mum was looking for a new church, and she came here once, and my brother came with her. And then my brother joined a life group called the Brochachos. Shout out to the Brochachos, <laughs> <laughs> which is a boys' life group. And um, I ended up getting invited along, weirdly enough. <laughs> and I ended up uh, joining this this life group, and I was I was so intrigued because the the people when I asked my questions, like, my curiosity was met with was met with uh, acceptance rather than judgment, mm, mm. and my my cynicism and my poking the bear <laughs> was met with uh, more like an attitude of, I like the challenge. Direct quote from Tavina Mawala, yeah, people yeah, who know yeah, him. Yeah, Direct yeah, quote. Yeah. And um, it just, it really intrigued me. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. This is really different. Can't well, believe these guys are Christians. Well, what you, you got to belong before you believed. Because I remember you in those yeah. days, you weren't, uh, you weren't backward about coming forward <laughs> about what you thought about God and the church. But obviously you were, you were just in community that you found acceptance in yeah, spite of that. absolutely. Yeah. It was just a really good community. And like you said, it was that mentality of belong before you believe. And I'm like, yeah. this is so weird. So how did you end up coming to church? I mean, after being so sceptical and obviously good experience with the bro charchos. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> I went to the bro charchos once or twice and they had fire pits and just all these boys, hairy boys in... <laughs> In greasy work clothes and stuff, and, and you were there. Um, so, so how did you end up at church? Um, well, I guess these people, I, I, was, I was so interested. I was like, if this is what the people of the church are like, I kind of want to know what the church is like. So I was like, you know what, I'll show up. I'll, I'll see what's going on. And I show up, and I just remember walking in, and the atmosphere and the people, it was like, oh, they're actually, Hi. <laughs> oh, they're smiling. This is nice. This is different. And uh, it was really cool. And, and I think the first thing that kind of clicked was when I listened to your message. Totally don't remember what your message is, so don't question me That's on that. That's okay. I get that a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember, I just remember thinking, wow, I can actually, it's so practical. I can apply it to my life and I can see myself in the message and, and I like the wisdom in it. And I, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I can, I can listen to this and I can actually enrich in my life and just leave all the God stuff out. <laughs> that makes sense to me. That sounds pretty good. I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and so I just, I kept coming along and I kept getting the wisdom and, and I kept talking to people in the church and ended up volunteering, even though I didn't believe. And yeah. the people yeah. were like, they, they, they thought it was cool and interesting that I had these different beliefs and these different ideas and, and they were challenging me and I was challenging them and I really yeah. liked that. It was yeah. cool. And then there was a Shane Willard message that was a bit oh. of a key for you too. Yeah, so Shane's Will, Shane Willard's message of um, wells versus fences. Uh, it was just, I could tell. I was like, yeah, wow, I had experienced the whole, the whole first part of coming to New Hope. My experience was a well culture. So um, kudo to you guys. Yeah, so rather sure. than fencing people in or expecting yeah. limit, having limitations... Just bringing life. Yeah, that's the that's sort of the, the diff- basically philosophy. Instead of like we're going to make you the kind of Christian or person we think you should be, mm. why not just present life continuously and let people drink? Yeah. So yeah, 
that's wonderful. Um, so eventually you did end up in a girls' life group. I think this is funny. You realised you weren't a brochacho after all. Uh, I think most of the brochachos knew that pretty early in the piece. But uh, Kate's life group. How did you get there? Yes. Uh, Kate's Life Group, I ended up uh, going to Kate's and it was a really cool experience. This is probably the first time where I was a bit, oh, okay, here we go, Life Group, get a journal and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but I show up anyway and I'm sitting there and, uh, and, and Kate's actually really, really brilliant leadership here because she says to me, there's no pressure for me to journal whatsoever. And she just says, just just come, do life with us, um, have a good conversation with us and just listen. You can bring your favourite quote if you like or your favourite lyric and we can talk about that and see what it means to you. And I just, I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. That is brilliant. Was, I mean, kudos to Kate. She's discipled so, so many young... We should just encourage Kate. <laughs> She's discipled so many great young girls. And the bro Charchos. Is Tavita in, in here? Is he serving somewhere else? He's probably in 68. But, uh, yeah, just great leaders. So, Kate, um, doing a great job. I loved that when you told me that you're allowed to bring a quote because you like quotes. You like your quotes. So, cool. And they worked with that. And then you became an intern. Yes. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) I remember that. You came in sparring. And, uh, I mean, no, you had a great... You always had a great attitude. You really did. A very teachable attitude. It was just that you had no problems expressing yourself. (laughs) And I do remember uh, early in the piece being bailed up after theology sessions and stuff that we did. And you were were asking all the right questions. Mm. And uh, so that was a great experience. So tell us a little bit about internship. Yeah, so um, I ended up joining interns because I, I just, I have this love for learning. I just, I love learning as much as I can, whenever I can. And uh, when I heard about the internship, I was like, you know what, this sounds actually pretty cool. So I ended up going along and, and the stuff that I was hearing and the stuff that I was learning, I was just like, wow, yeah, this is this, the more wisdom and, and more applicable things that I could have to my life. And I just found it was really enriching who I was and my character and even my leadership which was really, really cool mm. and helped in my job, which was awesome. I think my boss is here at the back. Yep, there he is, Darren Copeland. Give <laughs> <laughs> me gully. Um, yeah, that was really cool. And uh, I loved the fact that I, I kind of just wanted to learn more about this Jesus character. Yeah. Even though I didn't kind of think he was the son of God, it was like, you know, he's, he's, got, he's a good person. I, yeah, like, yeah. I like his philosophy and who he was. And it was like, I, I want to I sort of follow that and, and see who this person was and maybe try to be more like that. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously you're a believer now, but you did say there wasn't like one big moment. Can you describe what was it like actually coming to that point of surrender? Yeah, so um, for me, or some others, I don't know, they have this big oh my gosh, epiphany kind of moment. But for me, it, it was just more of a, a slow pressure release. I guess that's the way I could describe it. Um, so like, just kind of like this heaviness slowly lifting off my shoulders and just, and just my life getting richer and richer and more joyful and joyful and, and so much more just happening and, and it's just flourishing and it was really cool. It was just a yeah. cool experience. Awesome. Still happening. So what is your journey now? What does it look like? What's life look like? And I guess I'm thinking there's all this drivenness that's always been in you. How do you express that now? Uh, I guess mostly I just, I like to grow in, in knowing who Jesus is and, and growing in my own character and just, just learning more about God and, and his love for people and, and his lo- our love for him. 
just how that works and how that kind of intertwines with each other. And I really like um, in my work and in life and even at church, just just really bringing that to to people, letting them know that that the laws of of God aren't there to punish and to judge but rather to bring life and enrich mm-hmm. and grow. And I think that's really cool. That's awesome, Britt. Hey, let's thank Britt for a story. Thank you so thank much, you. Brittany. You did thank that you, so Chris. well. And, and, you know, look, just in the closing moments, I, I guess I talked to Britt about that because we just bumped in the hallway one day and she told me about her story. And I said, we have got to, we've just got to interview you. People need to hear that journey and the grace that she found in that journey. But the question is, how could that have happened if we chose to be individualistic? Yeah. What I love about that story is not that she met some fantastic, dynamic Christian street preacher who changed her life. What she met was just salt of the earth, everyday folk going on a journey together. Yeah. And she was included in that journey. And, and allowed to ask the difficult questions and given grace and, and before needing to, or before belonging, before needing to believe so that she could be accepted, she was accepted and then eventually found a point of belief. And I must admit, it was quite, a, you know, it was months and months. So you start to wonder, is this person, is a penny ever going to drop? And the fact is, even if it doesn't, isn't someone's life still valid yeah. and worthwhile yeah. and worthy of investment? But, but I, I think that if we ask the wrong questions when it comes to what is important to us, if we ask the wrong questions, we end up with the wrong answers. And maybe the question is not what's in it for me when it comes to church. The question is what is my place in creating an environment where people can have an experience like that what's my part what's my role to play in in being joined together in being built together so that God can actually inhabit this space inhabit this environment in a particular way so that people who brush up against it or people who enter into that have an experience in God's house. I love it where, where Jacob in the Old Testament, when he sets up the stone pillar, he calls it Bethel or house of God. And he says this, this is none other than the gate of heaven. And when I hear a story like that, to me, or like, where's Britt? She was there somewhere. Um, when I hear a story like that, you know, that's what it is. It's a, oh my goodness, I'm at the gate of heaven experience. I might not have been looking for it, I might have thought it didn't exist. But when you come into something that's authentic, you know what it is. So here's just a couple of questions as we close today to ask ourselves. And I think post-pandemic, in a sense, I know that there's still issues, but I think most of us are just trying to get on with it now, aren't we? You know, let's be careful, let's be safe, but let's get back into life. Have I been intentional in where I invest myself since the pandemic? Have I been intentional in where I invest myself? What values have I questioned? Hopefully you have. I mean, hopefully you can't go through a life experience as big as that's been this last season and we've hardly been touched by it compared to the rest of the world. But it's affected us in certain ways. 
So what values has it led you to question? Is God's purpose for my life or has it remained central in my decision making? Has God's purpose for me, my life, my world, my family, has that remained central even when everything else seems to be up for grabs? And then that should be what priorities? I'm not sure whether someone might have corrected my spelling. What priorities are revealed in my use of time? What priorities? I guess in a sense what I'm saying is if my calendar could speak, what would it tell you about me? What would it tell you about my priorities? Now, hey, you're here. I'm preaching to the converted. I get it. I get it. But I do think that we do need to understand that this is something bigger than me. This is meant to be something bigger than me. Billy Graham said it so well when he said, a man all wrapped up in himself is a very small parcel indeed. This is something bigger than me. And what would happen to to literally every year, hundreds of people like Brittany, if we chose to live individualistic, is really the question. So thank you, church. Thank you for allowing yourselves to be built together into something that God can inhabit in a very special way so that when people come into contact with it, it changes their lives. Could we all stand together this morning? I'd like to pray for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. And uh, right now, right here, we commit ourselves to you. Father, right in this building, online, wherever we are, help us be salt and light. Help us gather in such a way that people experience your presence and its reality in life-changing ways. Help us, Father, to reprioritize our lives in ways that honor you, keep Jesus as central. In Jesus' name, I pray. And and if you're here with us today, maybe you've listened to, to, to Brittany's story. Maybe you'd recognize, hey, I'm still journeying. And you're really, really welcome. You might be at a point where you think, you know, I have been journaling, but I think today, even after hearing Brittany's story, I think there's something that I saw in her that I want. And I want to come to that point of surrender. You can do that this morning. Just, I just encourage you in your heart of hearts, just reach out to God right now, right where you are, with us online, here in the building. And just open your heart in the simplest of ways and invite Jesus in. Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to know who you are and what it means to follow you. And you can commit yourself to that in the simplest of ways. Pastor Sue will come in a moment. Oh, sorry, Robert will come in a moment. Let you know how you can follow up on that. Hey, if you're joining us with online, with, with us online, it's probably reasons why you can't be here physically in the building, and I understand that. But maybe you're in a community where you could start a watch party. You could invite some friends. You could invite some family or a workmate. 
and, uh, and start to cluster and start to build an environment, even in your lounge room. Let us know. Let us know if you're doing that. Because you never know, that could be a, a church plant in a community somewhere that's yet to be reached. So let us know how you go with that. Thanks, Robert. Why don't we thank Pastor Chris this morning?